a blessing to come on Tuesdays and um, open God's word with you ladies. I'm so grateful and humble, and it's truly a privilege and a joy to be able to come and uh, going through this book of Joshua, I don't know about you, um, and if you're just starting with us, put on your spiritual seatbelts, as they say, because it has been a blessing. Um, so in looking back and then looking forward for this welcome back uh, study, I started thinking of the idea of biblical controversies, right? How there's certain issues that sometimes bring about uh, just challenges for some people, right? And controversies exist not just when it comes to things taught in the Bible, but just in society. So that's sort of the title for today is Biblical Controversy. And then we'll pray. We'll look at some of the, the lessons and scriptures that we've seen these first six weeks of study. And then what we have to look forward to in the rest of the weeks that we have together. So again, Lord, we just ask that you would anoint your word, God. I pray for each and every one of your daughters here tonight, Lord. God, you know the ones that are tired, the ones that are weary, the ones that are going through a hard season. God, would your presence be close to the brokenhearted here tonight, God. And Lord, you know those that are rejoicing that maybe recently um, have received the answer to prayer or seen a miraculous provision, Lord. Uh, which can't be denied, which it was your hand, would she just write it down, God. May that memorial stone be set up in her life, God, for those times of drought, those times of being in the desert, God. And I just pray that collectively, as uh, women of this church, God, we would be abiding in you, even as we just sung that last song, Lord, that we would be women of the word, women of wisdom, of prayer, um, and that our hearts would truly be knit together in you, Lord, that we would pray for each other, um, that we would intercede, that we would speak your word into each other's lives, God. We love you so much, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So what are some social issues that are controversial? Well, I googled top 10 controversial issues, and I'm going to go through some five, and this article listed these as controversial topics that come up in college, which I kind of laughed because they're not controversial because they're just used to brainwash. But anyway, um, one of the things, not all colleges, you guys know what I mean. Okay, so number one is gun control. Something else on that list was abortion, religious freedoms privacy rights, and free market capitalism. So these are all things that in college are seen as controversial social issues. So then I looked up controversial issues that come up in church. Number one, I don't know if you can guess it, but it's gay marriage. They said that that's the number one issue among churches that is seen as controversial. Second was also second on the other list, abortion. Number three, women and leadership. Number four, spiritual gifts. And number five, free will versus predestination, right? So these are just some issues that sometimes come up in church that individuals um, maybe even get into arguments with friends, with brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Uh, so we'll look more at that later, but before jumping into all these controversies, let's look back and see some of the things that the Lord has spoken to us through Joshua. If you were with us for week one, the introduction, we looked at the promised land in Hebrews 11. The promised land in Hebrews 11. And we saw the different um, just patriarchs of our faith and how each of them had a special connection with this promised land. We saw Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Joseph and Moses leading up to Joshua, to coming into this land of promise. For Abraham, we saw that the promised land meant a place of inheritance, a place of inheritance. And I'll read a couple of scriptures for us there from Hebrews 11. Verse 10 tells us, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then jumping down, we see that it was by faith in verse 30 and 31 that the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. So again, this promised land, this place of inheritance that we saw in Abraham. And again, just looking through the notes, that idea of waiting, right? He waited for so long for the promises of God. And I just want to encourage you here tonight, if maybe you are growing weary in waiting for God's promise, don't. Galatians 6, 9 tells us, do not grow weary in doing good, that you will receive that harvest if you do not lose heart. So continue waiting. You are to expect a city whose foundation, who has, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And it's worth the wait. We had to combine weeks two and three because of a little storm, <laughs> so um, a physical one. Uh, but that week, which combined those two lessons, we looked at great commissions and great covenants. Great commissions and great covenants, and that covered both chapters one and two. We looked at his commands, God's word. We looked at his certainty, God's presence. We also saw the commendable faith, of Rahab and the cord of sacred scarlet. Um, again, just looking back for, through the notes, the verses that jumped out at me were chapter one of Joshua. Let's go ahead and turn there. Joshua chapter one. Maybe your Bibles were already open there from your time in the small groups. Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And maybe you've seen these on a beautiful bookmark or in a plaque in the house. It says, Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to the fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. And as I mentioned, sometimes you'll see this verse on an inspirational poster. Perhaps there's a sports team, you know, there, or, or a tall mountain which needs to be climbed, and, and you see those words, be strong and very courageous. But if you look at the context of that verse, the strength and courage which Joshua is commanded to have has a very specific purpose. 
and it's to do and observe all the law which Moses commanded. Ladies, doesn't it take strength and courage in the days that we're living in to do all the things God has commanded us, right? Our time, our attention, so many things competing for our pockets, right? For all these things, our affections, and we need to be women of strength and of courage to be able to do according to all the law which is written here in this book. One of the quotes that uh, especially ministered to me, which I was reminded of in looking back at the notes, was how Sandy Adams compared the book of Joshua to our, our Jesus, our Savior. He wrote, For Jesus too came to earth to spy out the land. He hung and was lowered from a scarlet rope, literally a blood-stained cross. Afterwards, he hid for three days in the grave. Jesus then rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. He returned to camp. But he's coming again to judge the world. And the only folks who will be saved are those holding on to the scarlet cord. It's a picture of the work of Jesus. Then we found ourselves in week four. No, but why? And that covered chapters three through five. And we looked at the gift of no. How oftentimes the Lord tells us no because we need it. And then we kind of changed the punctuation a little bit of that title. And instead of, you know, that toddler throwing that tantrum saying, no, but why? We changed it to no, but why? Like, we're not going to say that anymore. We're not going to question and say, but why? We're going to accept the no's of the Lord because we need his direction. We need sanctification. We need reminders of his dominion faith-filled action. We need the next generation. We were reminded of how much our example matters. We need to share our salvation because our testimony matters. Consecration, redemption, his provision. Ultimately, we need him. And again, just looking through those notes, the ones that stood out to me was this idea of the next generation and the need to share our salvation. And uh, that comes from Joshua chapter 4. It's just a couple chapters over from where we were in chapter 1. Joshua chapter 4 verses 21 starts, Then he began, then, sorry, he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. In verse 24, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And how we need to be so mindful of the way we live our lives because it matters, right? It matters to the Lord. It matters to his body, to those around us. In week five, we were all very conscious of our steps as we looked at Joshua chapter six, and they made their way around the walls of Jericho. We looked at the different benefits of walking and how it relates to spiritually when we take steps of faith. And we looked specifically at seven steps, proclaiming precious promises, 
accepting authority's admonition, bearing boring burdens, trusting God's true timing, set oneself away from sin and apart for the sacred. Number six was to destroy definitively any traces of sin. And number seven was to grow in grace. And being reminded of that third step, the bearing the boring burdens, right? How our walk with the Lord so often is about the daily. Sometimes we read those last three um, words there in Joshua chapter 6 that they did it for six days, right? And we forget how burdensome that must have been. Pick up the ark. Walk in silence. Meanwhile, the priests are blowing the trumpet the whole time, right? The whole way around. And to do it again, day after day, only to be told by Joshua on the seventh day, guess what? You get to do it seven times now. Hooray! Um, And I think I alluded to the fact that so much of being a mom, right, is doing things only to have them undone a few seconds later. And you're like, didn't I just turn off all the lights in this house so we could leave, you know? And it becomes so mundane, the doing and the redoing and the doing again, the thing you just redid. But how when we bear those burdens unto the Lord, we can have confidence, we can have a great reward, as we're told in Hebrews 10, verses 35 through 36. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Then the last time we met for Ladies Bible Study, we looked at common lies we tell ourselves when we are in sin, and then more importantly, the truth we need to free us. So it was kind of this list of contrasts, a lie that often we'll tell ourselves when we're stuck in sin, but the truth we need to be free. And the title for that one was Stop Lying in Sin. And that came from that verse where where Joshua was found lying on his face. And yet so often our hearts are the ones that are lying to us. So we looked at lies like, it's just, it's just a little tree. It's just a little something, meaning I think I deserve this. And the truth is that we need to grow in the fear of the Lord. And then we looked at the lie that it's not that bad because I don't think it's wrong. And what we really need is humility, right? It's, not going to, it's only going to affect me. It's just, it's just, this is just my thing. Well, we think I'm not hurting anyone, But the truth is that we need accountability. It's not my fault. And really what we're saying is I blame God. And the truth we need to free us from that lie is confession. It's just this one time. I won't do it again. We need to instead trust God's timing instead of going ahead of it. It's just too much. It's just too hard to stop. And we settle thinking I'll be defined by my sin when the truth which can free us is repentance. And the one that I wanted to go back and just meditate on was that lie that it's just not that bad. That lie that tells us, well, I don't think it's wrong, as if we're the measure for morality, right? As if we're like that final judge on gets to decide what's righteousness and what's evil. And it's such a tricky lie, especially when we saw what the people did, because they attacked a city that wasn't that far. It wasn't that many people. So it didn't seem that big of a compromise. 
But the truth is, is that they were relying on their pride. They were doing things in their own strength. They weren't walking according to humility. Humility is necessary for a revival. We're told in 2 Chronicles 7:14. Perhaps you've memorized this verse or it's come up on National Day of Prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Again, that's 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. We need humility for revival. We also need humility for wisdom. As Proverbs eleven two tells us, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Again, that's chapter 11, verse 2 of Proverbs. Humility brings about true wealth. Later on in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 19, we read, Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Honor is also the result of humility. Again, Proverbs, this time chapter 29, verse 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. And even the New Testament tells us that humility is how we can truly appreciate grace. We're told in James 4, 6 and 10, also in 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6, to humble ourselves because God resists the proud, but will give grace to the humble. That word humble is so interesting to me because it can be a noun, it can be a verb, it could be an adjective, and really it should be what describes our life. Are we willing to admit that God knows better about sin, that God knows better about me, that God knows better about reality than anyone or anything else? including me, right? That's what humility is. It's just saying, you know what, God, you know better. You know better than I do. And this last point brings us back to those controversies we started with that we mentioned earlier. And now here's where we'll transition to that preview. As I was looking, again, just for a general overview of the book of Joshua and what we had to look forward to in the upcoming chapters, Easton's Bible Dictionary tells us that Joshua has oftentimes been considered a controversial book. The entry reads, there are two difficulties connected with this book, which has given rise to much discussion. The first one is the miracle of the standing still of the sun and moon on Gibeon. Right, so that's one controversy that a lot of times scholars try to explain it away or it's left room for much discussion. How can that be possible? The sun standing still, the moon not moving, this you know, battle that we have to look forward to studying. The second difficulty arises out of the command given by God utterly to exterminate the Canaanites. So that first one, I labeled it sort of a physical challenge, right? The sun standing, standing still. But this first difficulty, it's just a matter of faith, right? God's word said that something happened which defies my human understanding of the laws of nature. My choice is to believe that he who created the laws in the first place has the ability to bend them at his will for his glory. Or, instead of humility, I could choose pride and say that my rationalization 
is bigger than the God who made the laws of nature and of science. The answer to a faith struggle, especially when it comes to physical challenges that, you know, God's word says it's one thing, but maybe science or my human intellect says another, the answer to any faith struggle is more of God's word. Romans 10, 17 tells us, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, sometimes we think we have to have it all figured out and we have to be able to explain to our unbelieving friends, Jonah and this great big fish, or, you know, how the world was only created in seven days, or all these different things that scientifically maybe they don't understand. But really, the more they get to know God and his word, the more that faith will come. Which brings us now to that second challenge, right? God telling Joshua and the Israelites to completely annihilate an entire population. I called this one the moral challenge, right? So we started with physical challenge. Now we see the second one is more of a moral challenge. The second difficulty can seem a little more complicated as it takes the shape of a moral issue. Later on in that same entry from Easton's Bible Dictionary, it reads, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? It is enough that Joshua clearly knew that this was the will of God, who employs his terrible agencies, famine, pestilence, and war in the righteous government of this world. The Canaanites had sunk into a state of immorality and corruption so foul and degrading that they had to be rooted out of the land with the edge of the sword. The Israelites' sword in its bloodiest executions wrought a work of mercy for all the countries of the earth to the very end of the world. By uprooting the Canaanites, now the lineage of Christ was able to take place in the land that was promised it, right? So we see that God is just, he is fair. I was also looking at um, Tori's new topical textbooks. It's just this um, online feature in Blue Letter Bible where you can type in a topic and it'll tell you all the times it appears in scripture and just like a little blurb of kind of summarizing what it shows. So the Canaanites descended from Ham, Genesis 10.6. They were extremely numerous, Deuteronomy 7.17. It was a fertile land. It had many strong cities. We are told of its boundaries even in Genesis 10.19. It's comprised of seven different nations, according to Deuteronomy 7.1. It was great and mighty, but it was also an accursed race right? Because of the way that it started out, we knew that this race was doomed to begin with because of the choices that they would later make. This land is also associated with Abraham. He was called to dwell amongst the Canaanites in Genesis 12 verses 1 through 5. He had his faith tried while he was dwelling there, and he was promised the country of inheritance many times throughout Genesis. The Canaanites are also described as idolatrous, Deuteronomy 29, 17. Superstitious, Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 11. They were profane and wicked, according to Leviticus 18, 27. And they were expelled from their land because of this wickedness, Deuteronomy 9, 4, and 18, 12 tells us. 
So we see that the reason Israel was commanded to not make any interactions with them, to not make any league, not to intermarry, not to follow their idols, not to follow their customs, to destroy without mercy, to not fear them, to destroy every forms of idolatry was because of their wickedness of these Canaanites. One of the practices was human sacrifice and more especially the sacrifice of the firstborn son. It continued to be practiced with undiminished frequency until, as excavations have shown us in archeology, span the Israelite conquest brought about its suppression. Even this second difficulty, this moral issue, is still a matter of faith. God's word says something that happened which defies my human understanding of the laws of morality. My choice is to believe that he who created morality in the first place has the ability to exercise his will in his time for his glory. Or, again, in my pride, I can choose that my rationalization is bigger than the God who created morality in the first place. The answer to physical our moral slash emotional struggles is still God's word. So again, Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Whether it's faith to believe something scientifically impossible or seemingly morally unacceptable, our standard is the word of God. In conclusion, when it comes to controversies in life, there's really only one to settle. Is the Bible God's inspired, infallible word or not? That's the only controversy for a believer. If it is, then every issue needs to be decided in the light of the full teachings, truth, and application of God's word. I love this quote. I came across it, and I didn't write down the source, which I'm kind of sad, but sometimes we get caught up in these conversations, right, of controversy, whether at church someone tries to say, well, you know, Calvin is this, or Armenia isn't this, or like they try to trap us to like make a stance in, in this camp or that camp. And really, I love, again, just this quote. It says, do not be surprised if people mock you. They do not understand God's love for them and therefore cannot understand your love of God, right? So again, sometimes with unbelievers or with believers, you're trying to explain to them how rich and deep God's word is and how much it has meant to you and shaped you. And perhaps people laugh, like, you believe that book written thousands of years ago? But again, I just found so much comfort in this. Do not be surprised if people mock you. They do not understand God's love for them and therefore cannot understand your love for God. That Tori's new topical textbook that I mentioned that lists the different times a certain phrase or topic comes up in scripture and the different, uh, like, just little summaries of what those verses say didn't end in the Old Testament, right? It didn't end with the destruction or the annihilation because later on we'll see in Joshua that the Israelites didn't do everything they were supposed to do. So the Canaanites did end up being a snare and 
a, a cause for stumbling in the lives of the Israelites. But it mentions a New Testament person who was of this descent. And it was a woman. And her story, right, her account is found in Matthew 15. So the rest of the time that we have left, we're going to camp out there. So Matthew is the first um, gospel there. It's the book we're going through now on Sundays. And also if you're doing the Bible reading plan at church, you've been in the book of Matthew for some time. We'll pick up in verse 22, which reads, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In verse 25, then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. David Guzik writes, we need to see the power of coming to God as we are and letting him make true his promises to those weak and unclean. If the woman had responded, who are you calling a dog? She would not have received from Jesus what her daughter needed. Her humble, faith-filled submission to Jesus brought the victory. Ironside, a commentator, writes, nothing appealed to our blessed Lord more than faith coupled with humility. Faith coupled with humility. This woman who came from a culture who once sacrificed their children to false gods, now worships at the feet of the one true God, interceding for the life of her daughter. She took Jesus at his word because even his harshest truth comforts a humble soul. And it brings me back to that verse that we said would be the key verse to this study. And it's Joshua 21, verse 45, which reads, Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord has spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. So a couple of applications come to mind as we look through um, this preview and this review of Joshua. Are you in his word? If not, it's only a matter of time before your faith will falter, either the rise of a physical conflict or controversy or a moral issue, right? Some challenge is going to come up, and if you're not being rooted in God's word, it's going to shake you. Are you willing to accept even the harshest words of the Lord? If your soul is humble, it'll bring you comfort. 
let us continue to wait for his promises, taking heed to his word because he loves us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word, God, that it has settled any and every issue, God. We thank you that you are that high priest that is connected with all of our weaknesses and all of our temptations and yet without sin. And Lord, we cling to you. We cling to the cross. We know your return is coming soon. And I just pray that you would bless each and every one of us as we continue to study this book of Joshua, Lord, knowing that not one word of any good thing which you have promised us will fail, Lord. And I just pray that we would obey from that position of victory, Lord not obeying as if to uh, get something out of you, as if to accomplish anything, but just out of gratitude that you have already accomplished so much in your word toward us, God. We praise you for your faithfulness. It's in your name that we ask these things, dear Jesus. Amen.